Welcome back to my podcast, Beyond the Water Cooler. Here we are for the fifth series. As usual, we'll be covering all things that shape employee experience, engagement, performance, and loyalty. And that's a biggie at a time with budget cuts and the workforce feeling the pinch, including increasing pressure at work. We'll be unpicking how leaders show up and create the right culture for people to thrive. One that enables psychological safety, builds team cohesion, and nurtures mental well-being. I'm your host, Lisa. As a psychologist and a psychotherapist in my business, It's Time for Change, I get to make a real difference in the world of people. I help deal with those challenges and questions that consume headspace. So whether that's knowing how best to support people, reduce overwhelm, or develop better ways of working, I'm your soundboard, problem unpicker, and guide to doing things differently that ultimately increase employee happiness and outcomes. My mantra is simple, get people right, get business right. So let's dive in. I am really pleased to be here with the fabulous Roy Magara of Magara Law today. Um, Roy, you're honestly one of the most humble, loveliest, calmest people on the planet. Um, and if anyone checks out your posts on LinkedIn, they'll say they'll see that I'm not the only one saying that. So it's obviously genuine. And actually, I love um, our talks, and we're, we're going to come across some of the um, some of the moments of humour, I guess, as well from some of our previous sessions that we've done when your baby has made an appearance, and uh, and so on in the middle of webinars, which has been just awesome, and it just shows how human and how calm and composed you really are. Um, but today you're in the house on your own, so we're not going to have any interruptions potentially. Thank you for joining me. Thank you so much, Lisa, for that really kind introduction. And yes, nice and quiet today. So I hope it all goes well. <laughs> um, so I can't remember actually how long we've known each other for, because I just remember during the pandemic, running various sessions with you on psychological safety for managers and leaders and the law and well-being and all these um, sessions that suddenly kind of sprung up and we were having a, an opportunity to really collaborate and join what I do around sort of mental well-being employee experience space and what you do with law and I have to say I loved it because prior to that I had never really thought about someone in law having such a vested interest in employee well-being and so on and they just didn't seem to be worlds that would combine and you have done that brilliantly you are very interested in people and doing the right thing for the mm -hmm. sake of doing the right thing and being human so tell us a little bit more about who you are about your business and what really motivates you thank you so much and yes you're right i think the covid years as it were were a great opportunity for both you and i to really invest ourselves in something that affects people mm. uh, you're very much a people person and so am i and i think employment law is one of those areas that whether people realize it or not generally does affect their everyday we all well, most of us go to work or are affected by someone who goes to work. We all work for a point so that we can retire. So even after our working days are done, all of that work that we put in affects us later on in life. There are so many aspects of work that affect us outside of work and our mental health and well-being. And from my experience, what COVID taught me professionally is that, uh, in actual fact, the, the spike in instances where clients highlighted things like anxiety, depression, eating disorders, constant worry, uh, financial instability, all those factors fed into uh, my interest in a way that I can help clients to the best of my ability. So being able to partner with someone like you who has a vested interest in people from that angle was great. Mm. And I love that. I've been talking to several people in, over the last couple of weeks about what makes people stand out. And <clears throat> the people I'm talking with about having those com conversations are say that they just genuinely want to help people it's this genuine passion and it's very easy for people to go yeah yeah everyone says that but actually there are some people who just are really motivated by just helping people for the sake of actually helping people like just doing the right thing rather than it being a tick the box or because you have to because it's the law or whatever and although you're all about the law it's really clear from what you're about that you really want to do the right thing by people and support them yeah quite right um i'll, I'll tell you a story if i may it's it's a, a client of mine who she worked 
for uh, accompaniment. And she didn't work there for very long, but she had a very difficult experience while she was there. So much so that when she actually decided to muster up the courage, and a lot of the time it is mustering up the courage to highlight a number of instances that led to her, her breakdown in mental health and well-being because of bullying and comments made to her by her line manager. Uh, in return, her line, her uh, the person who was investigating that particular grievance eventually told her line manager about it. The line manager ended up throwing uh, the office phone at my client, calling her every name under the sun. And eventually my client was dismissed for allegedly falsifying uh, various elements of accounts. And the only other witness who stood up for my client was eventually dismissed by the other side for allegedly selling drugs to various service users. I mean, that kind of scandalous scenario, as it were, is fortunately few and far between. But but that is an example of sometimes how employers generally get it wrong. But what employees in that kind of scenario don't realize that actually this particular employee has, she, she's a mother, she's a wife, she has responsibilities and obligations wider than what I've just highlighted. But it actually got to the point that she was on suicide watch mm. and there were crisis teams left, right and center. She got to the point where her work or the experience of her work affected her that much. Mm. So indeed, it's not just employees who I work for, because employees also have a duty of care toward their employees. And it's really important to highlight these sorts of obligations and responsibilities that they can have a positive effect on so many more people mm. around them. I think I, I would love to see a time when I can say, God, are the days when people can put things like hashtag be kind on their social media, but in reality, they're doing something completely different. It would be great for there to be a synergy between what people say behind their screens and how they act in, in real life. Yeah, I couldn't agree with that more. And I think just having, you know, being an advocate for someone and just just almost holding their hand in a kind of metaphorical way of just hearing them and trying to be there to support them, because there are so many people who, regardless of what level they're at in an organisation, um, who are just feeling the end of their tether with stuff and they don't but they can feel incredibly isolated you know there was a stat I was reading yesterday about I think something like 70 percent of CEOs are experiencing symptoms of burnout by the end of each day and so whether you're a CEO or a new hire actually when you're feeling that things aren't right whatever that might be you just get to that point of you need someone there to look out for you and to just guide you in terms of whether it's going to speak to the right person or thinking about something differently or doing something differently, whatever that might be, but just having someone who is there who you can confide in and you're not just keeping all to yourself. That suicide thing is so real, isn't it? And I know that from looking at stats again, from when I was doing some stuff with Thames Valley Chamber of Commerce, it's scary. And you can see why people feel trapped. They don't feel they've got a way out. Yeah, quite right. But I think you raised a really good point about leaders mm. in particular. And the stat is incredibly unsurprisingly high but I'll touch on this point now and appreciate we may want to expand on this a bit later but one thing that I see quite often is twofold we're in this kind of dichotomy where leaders have this great big burden on themselves because they are given the impression that they have to know it all that they've almost got to be more than human and this whole idea of leaders having uh, weaknesses that's just out of the window leaders are expected to know it all they're not supposed to look like they're struggling and they're supposed to have all the answers and the flip side of this dichotomy is that employees also need to be almost educated in the sense that managers and leaders are human too and that they will make mistakes if all employees and managers if all rather employees see managers and leaders being these sort of godlike creatures who can shoulder the world mm -hmm. their problems whereas everyone else's actually that's terribly incorrect you know that, but I certainly speak with um, managers and leaders daily who say, I'm managing a team of 50, 60, 70 people. I mean, goodness gracious, most people can't manage their own households, never mind a team of all these people with their own burdens, with their own issues mm. as well, never mind their own. But they haven't got the training, they haven't got the support, they haven't got the guidance, and they haven't got employees who understand that they're human too. And that is so important to have that, in my view, we certainly need more of. I really like that point. And I think um, it reminds me of a 
when I was talking recently on um, a business brunch radio show about resilience for business owners and I can't remember what the question was but I remember explaining that people can't they shouldn't try to be too resilient exactly to your point that if you try if you want to give this impression that you are in control of everything and everything's going really well and you've got this clear plan that's going is going perfectly um and that you're just coping with it all actually you don't give any room for anyone else to experience anything other than that and the vulnerability bit is so important in terms of you know we talk a lot about psychological safety and trust in teams and so on that's the biggest one of the biggest differences for that is seeing their lead leaders of teams being vulnerable and saying I don't know or mm. I've got something wrong um you know I need help or help me work something out and actually as soon as you show that you're human the connection and the trust it, it just yeah it develops hugely doesn't it and it has such an impact then on how people engage with each other how they feel about each other how they feel about their work everything absolutely I mean wouldn't it be great in the right context wouldn't it be great for companies to almost proactively allow for imperfections in the workplace instead of expecting people to always show up as the best version of themselves and don't get me wrong I'm not saying okay everyone put on your saddest face and just bring all your problems into the workplace there has to be an element of professionalism here but it'd be great if instead of they're having this sort of facade allow a space for those sorts of abilities for people to voice their struggles mm. in the workplace how about if team meetings included, included questions like what's frustrating you recently mm. or what's what are people struggling with right now mm. And I appreciate not everyone is a is a public person per se. Not everyone wants to necessarily air things like that. But how about factoring those things into a one-to-one or into your appraisals and creating that kind of transparent environment where people actually feel safe mm. to be able to do that? I mean, for example, I, I had a client recently who said that they opened up to their line manager about their own imperfections and their own struggles. And in return, most bizarrely, what the line manager did was do a 360 degree feedback uh, in order to build a foundation for um, a personal improvement plan for this particular employee. And by 360 degree feedback, it was to go to all of this employee's peers, subordinates um, and higher ups to say, what else do you think is wrong with this particular individual? I mean, that's just ludicrous in my view. It's ludicrous. Wow. I mean, talk about damaging and, and making sure that no one else speaks up about anything that they're struggling with. Your idea of um, yeah. team meetings, I'm, I really like that. I'm such a fan of just breaking all tradition with meeting agendas, which honestly, they drive me crazy because there's so much of that is just meaningless. Yeah. And going to great conversations about what are people proud of and what are they, what have they got on this week and where do they find, where do they think they could collaborate or where do they want some support and then finding the support from within that group and your mm -hmm. idea of you know some people won't like that they don't like speaking up if you're having the one-to-one -one with your manager it's got to be a weekly one-to-one -one. you know some people some managers say oh, yeah we do that you know in our appraisal which happens sort of once every six months or something or once a quarter and it's like that's not that's what that's you as a manager just checking in someone's doing what they should be doing in terms of your goals or you know your objectives what? that's not genuine care about an individual in terms of sense of recognition and achievement and celebration and what can we do to support you and you know where can we where can we work together a little bit more or what can we do to make this more effective more productive and feel more engaging it's, it's got to be a complete rethink for some companies and some companies are brilliant at it and they really prioritize the people side and then everything else just kind of almost takes care of itself but some people are still up against you know these challenges and I guess that's where you come in with you know, thinking about the law, because I'm always curious about whether people, like I would like in my ideal world, for people to do the right thing because it's the right thing. We are good human beings and we want to treat each other well. And and if we do that, then great things happen. The reality is not that, otherwise we wouldn't have people like you <laughs> on the planet trying to pick up the legal side. So what do you see as kind of, um, as the reality in in work around the legal aspect and having to kind of pick up those those pieces? I think the reality is, well, I'll, I'll prefix that first. Like you, I'm an optimist. I always look to try and see the best in people. And I think personally, I think that's a good mindset to have. Uh, the reality of the world that we live in is that it is a broken world. 
And because it's a broken world and we all have weaknesses and fallacies, things are going to go wrong. Sometimes it goes wrong by accident, but unfortunately there are the people who do things wrong on purpose. Mm. And uh, to pick up something that we discussed um, off camera and before we started the podcast, it was talking about some employers who are being called out for not actually caring enough. Mm. There was a case recently of Dunnigan and the Mount School Limited. And in that particular case, in my view, it's a perfect example of what not to do when talking about this element of caring for others, being there for others and being human. But without going into too much of a university lecture about it, mm. the short version is um, she, uh, the claimant in this particular matter, her mother was terminally ill and there had been a family meeting to discuss how to care for her in that regard. The employer had been made aware that she wasn't able to attend the particular meeting that was eventually scheduled for that day. Long story short, she was dismissed off the back of saying, I really can't attend this due to this prearranged meeting. No investigation, no looking into the matter, no reality check-in actually, all things considered, is it necessary for this to be attended? And the employer had defended this all the way to uh, to the tribunal. And rather unsurprisingly, the tribunal stated that no reasonable employer would have acted uh, in that particular way. And, and, and rightly so. They'd also highlighted just a litany of, of errors that the employer had to come to. Some of those being, she wasn't even given a written explanation for her dismissal. They, in fact, throughout the process, the other side had also refused to comply with any case management orders or exchanging documentation, providing the right evidence. It was just a complete barrel of, of wrong. And it's a shame, really, because, as I say, not every employer is like this. There are genuinely conscientious employers out there, and that's great. But unfortunately, there is still, and I think always going to be a need for employment lawyers, because... Sometimes it's the little guy, sometimes it's the the employer, but someone needs someone by their side to guide them through that. Mm. And do you think, you know, in that in that case you just outlined, will that change the findings and, you know, that no reasonable employer would behave like that? Um, do you think that will change the practice of that company? Will that make them kind of rethink their practice? I hope so. And I'm being really careful with my word by saying I hope so, because I suppose the fallacy of human nature is that sometimes you have some sort of stubborn, uh, stubborn-headed people. But I think in reality, if they do genuinely care, and I'd like to think that they do, I mean, they are a school after all, they spend most of the time caring for, for others, um, it ought to. It ought to be a big wake-up call in terms of how to treat people. It doesn't take much to pause on the formality of life and strip away the hypothetical suit as it were and mm. just sit with someone and just say hey i know you know your obligations so can i just talk to me what's up mm. how can i help how mm. can we help is there anything we can do and go from there because had there been that in this particular case oh well as you know it's obligated for you to be there i appreciate you having to tell me everything about your private life but would you kindly just help me understand exactly why you can't be there mm. oh my 90-year-old mother has just been diagnosed with terminal cancer. That would have changed the whole conversation altogether. And it would not have wasted the probably over a year's worth of contention between the parties. Yeah, I can see that. Gosh. And, and I, I'm curious to know whether it's part of what you do or if, if it's something that other people do in terms of, I guess it's that mediation bit, isn't it, in terms of the employer in that case wanting to take action against this employee if they're not seeing it for themselves that they just need to have a kind of a good sensible conversation about this is there before you before you embark on a legal process that takes a lot of resources do you or is there other people around who go in and say look actually why don't you just ask these kinds of questions and and actually just un unearth it for themselves before it gets to the you know going to court potentially yeah Great. Um, and, and yes, is the right answer to your question. I am a proponent and a fan of pragmatism. Mm. If there's a way that one can avoid the bloody mess that litigation often brings, yeah, absolutely. It saves time, 
it saves energy, it saves, it saves resources. And I, I don't think that employees or employers sometimes are aware of actually how draining the litigation process can be. And I, I call it kind of bloody because actually sometimes people don't realize how, how messy it can actually get. It is sometimes a war zone and people don't realize how, how draining that whole process is. Mediation to me is something that I find can be helpful from a restrictive point of view, but it also allows both parties to save face much early on. From the employer's point of view, a lot of their interest will be in things like keeping their, their PR, their kind of public relations on the right note, ensuring that the resources of their staff are well kept. From the employee, from my view, I don't mind fighting if we have to fight, but in actual fact, getting closure early mm. and being able to move on in a healthy, productive way, to me, makes a lot of sense. And I think most of my clients don't realise actually how beneficial getting that closure early is until that closure actually happens. And they say, gosh, you know what, Roy? Thanks for negotiating my exit with my employer when you said it would be right to me. Thanks for doing X instead of going down the grievance, the, the litigation route. Absolutely a fan of getting things sorted out early and pragmatically. Yeah, because you're right. I mean, it's just the, the, the drain. I mean, not only on the, the cost of all this and the impact on people's work and productivity and so on, but the emotional drain you know, the stress, the, the impact on people's mental well-being when they've got these things hanging over them. I know when I've worked with um, some directors of different organisations who are waiting for cases against them um, and not because they have done uh, things that are extraordinarily wrong, but it's a case of situational stuff happening and that, and they've ended up in the in a mix of it. Um, they just say that it just impacts on their sleep and they are just, they can't stop thinking about it during the day and they it, it's invading their thoughts all the time. They're trying to focus on other things and it's, they take it home and it impacts on their family relationships. And, you know, you talk to these people and it's like, well, when, when's the next thing happening? When have you got a meeting with this person or that person? It's like, you know, my next meeting is not for another three months. That's three months more of waiting before you get right. the next small step along. And you just think the impact on so many lives and at the end of it, if you can pick yourself up and, and carry on, then that's great. But if you've gone through all that, some people can just feel quite broken by it, can't they? And, and it really impacts on their ability to move forward and be able to trust again. Um, and, you know, being being able to be themselves again in a new environment until they've gone through quite a period of actually it's safe to be myself here. I can yeah. I can behave like this because my last employment suggested I definitely couldn't. And I'm having to break all those patterns that people establish and so it has a knock-on effect in their new employment as well yeah quite right I think you raise a number of good points there and I'm really interested in getting your perspective on whether you think that there's a difference because of how men and women typically approach that subject of opening up about mental health I often find when I'm having those sorts of conversations with my client about the impact on themselves or their family life etc women I found in my experience are much more almost emotionally intelligent to be and open up about their emotions how it's affecting them at home they're able to almost tune in much better mm. I, I have found in my experience than men do with men I'm a little bit more um intentional with my language because of what I use so rather than saying oh so do you are, are you anxious or are you depressed for example it might be how's your sleep yeah. how's your appetite these days um do you find yourself getting angry quicker than usual or how, how, how's your tolerance in terms of patience men I find typically are much more able to say yep no yes no to those sorts of questions in comparison to me just saying okay how do you feel about that okay not quite sure fine what's your take on that uh, that completely mirrors um, the general practice uh, I experience. Men tend to, they just, it doesn't, they don't necessarily think about it or register it. They're not necessarily self-aware in that sense. And if you ask them about it, they'll be like, I don't know, I'm not sure. So if you ask the, the very closed questions, much more factual ones, you know, is it affecting your sleep? Then it's much more like, well, yeah, definitely. You get, it's much more, it's much easier to answer that. Um I think it's the for people to be for people to be aware, for people to be able to label it, have the language to articulate it, and just having the, the courage to be open and honest and say, 
I'm really worried I'm really struggling because for a lot of men I'm you know particularly of um a generation where they have have been in work a long time and it's like you just get on with it and you're it's going back to our earlier point that you've just got to crack on and be seen to cope with everything it feels quite alien being it just regardless of how lovely you are how you know the person asking how good their intentions are and how um you know trusting that relationship is if someone's saying are you struggling or are you feeling anxious actually for someone to say yes it can be quite a big step so going you know asking those sort of closed questions and then you know I sometimes use the language to say well you know struggling to sleep and your your appetites change and you're kind of arguing more with your partner and so on it sounds to me like you know you're, you're feeling a bit stressed um and it's like yeah, yeah yeah I am and actually it seems you provide a bit of the language and um and it's almost that you know you're being objective so you're not asking someone to label themselves which I think I mm. think for some some men can help yeah quite right absolutely that definitely mirrors my experience and that, that at least helps inform how best to help them that we were talking about mediation or ending things pragmatically just a short moment ago and I think having a better understanding of where someone is at at that time helps inform what, what the best options may be and statistically in terms of claims from the previous year from 2021 through 2022 there has been a reduction in terms of claims that have gone through a tribunal I personally don't think that that is reflective of the amount of claims that have been brought per se but I think it's reflective of the fact that employment lawyers generally are becoming much more switched on in understanding that in actual fact, having that mediation as a first option makes sense because a lot of clients are finding actually your mental health has got to come first over principle a lot of the time. And mm. if you can save the principle of litigation and get some kind of deal much earlier on for these people, that's a much more sensible route to go down. That's an interesting stat because one of the questions I wanted to ask you is about whether you've seen a rise in legal cases because employees are expecting, demanding more, are much more aware of their rights, or whether you're seeing a decrease in legal cases because employers are much more aware of their responsibility. So the stats say it's it's easing off. What what's your experience? Um yes so statistically speaking there have been fewer claims brought in in 2022 through to 2023 so far on a kind of like-for-like -like basis in comparison to the previous year um, from my experience i would suggest that's not necessarily reflective of the amount of issues that are arising i think what what happened of course during the covid years was no doubt a lot of unfair dismissal claims a lot of redundancy claims etc so i'm not surprised that there was quite a quite a spike in that respect but off the back of that there have been i think in the main um an increase in discrimination related claims that have come up so uh, discrimination i think the highest amount of quantum or compensation that I provide was around 200,000 i think from memory so incredibly high. And of course, those sorts of figures are few and far between. But it, it goes to show that employers still need to be aware that their actions, knowingly or not, have, have kind of financial implications in this particular um, sphere. I would anticipate that, or at least from my experience, a lot of discrimination cases are disability related. And when we're looking at disability, it's rarely the kind of physical elements of disability although those cases of course do exist there are a lot more cases that are linked to mental health related mm. disability small as they may be as well but a lot more cases to do with, with with the menopause coming up slowly but surely as well because i think um people are now realizing that where uh, women kind of trailed off the map in their sort of 50s and onwards it wasn't oh because they're just wanted to pause and that's that is due to things linked to the menopause anxiety fatigue um, difficulty sleeping hormonal changes you name it so instead of them being dismissed for capability and then that's the end of them they're saying actually no it's not because i'm incapable it's because we now have a much better understanding and thank goodness that we do about things for example like the menopause and that's why i've been dismissed not because of something completely separate to that so I'm going to play devil's advocate now because, um, and I completely agree with you, but I have had a conversation with an HR person who will name 
remain nameless, who has said to me in the past, um, well, it's all very well kind of bringing these cases and saying that this person's not really incompetent. It's because of their mental health or it's because of their menopause or whatever else. But actually, the company just knows they're incompetent. So what do they do? And is this is this mental health stuff or this menopause stuff just masking and an excuse for this incompetent behaviour? So and and that's I had an HR. Admittedly, it was a little while ago now, but it stuck with me. And I was thinking, I wonder how many HR people are in that kind of that camp. So, what would be your response to that, Roy? My response would be, I understand the cynicism. I, I'm not, I'm not so romanticised in the idea to not agree that there will be some who will jump on the bandwagon, as it were. Mm-hmm. You're always going to get cowboys in in any particular trade or profession or or, or field, and. With that being said, you're always going to get people who will jump on the mental health bandwagon, as, as you may want to call it, or anything to do with the menopause or whatever else might be trending. Mm. For example, um, I have no difficulty in saying that I'm sure that there may have been plenty of people who jumped on the race discrimination bandwagon when there was a lot to do with uh, Black Lives, the Black Lives Matter movement or anything to do with that. All of a sudden, I had a spike in calls or people saying, um, Roy, I want you to take my case on. I've been insert detriment here or dismissed because I'm black and then, or I'm this, that or the other. And then you kind of get to the actual crux of the matter. And I didn't used to think and sometimes think when the cases come up, how on earth have you managed to, to, to join that and that together? That's just fanciful. So yes, I, I agree with the hater to a degree, but I think each and every case is so individual and unique that it's fine to have an air of, of, of that view but I think it's important to take each case as it comes yeah and to find out the facts just to ask the questions rather than to make the assumptions because I think it's so easy isn't it to make those assumptions based on what you've seen and maybe certain behaviors been going on for quite a while because maybe there's stuff going on in the background that's been going on for quite a while and unless we goes back to your earlier point unless we take the time to ask questions and inquire about um, you know how someone is and perhaps you know why they're um, not as uh, and it might maybe not as punctual as normal or maybe they're not being as productive as normal is anything getting in the way is there anything we can help you with just asking those kinds of questions because if there are issues going on then that's you know assuming you've got some safety there in terms of the trust in that relationship that's where you can have those really good conversations and, and work out what's really going on uh, or whether it's just a mask so in terms of the the mental health um cases that you're seeing as kind of an, on the increase are there is that to do with people who have diagnosed mental health conditions or is that people who are don't necessarily have a diagnosis but are experiencing high levels of stress or anxiety or um burnout or kind of stuff that's affecting their mental health perhaps because of work but it doesn't necessarily have a particular diagnosis particular label a mixture so um, some of them, there already is a foundation of a mental health related issue. Um, across the board, it might be something sort of inherent, something where they might be on the spectrum, for example, with autism or Asperger's or dyslexia from a point of view. But uh, on the other hand, it could have been because of particular work experience or work experiences, they've developed anxiety or depression or, a, or another particular disorder that's gotten them to a point to a point where it either affects their work and or affects their relationships, etc. Unfortunately, there is definitely I've definitely seen an increase in terms of clients who come with some kind of associated issue with mental health, um, uh, where it has happened because of something to do with work. Mm. And are they then cases that the employer recognise? And they just don't want to take, they don't want to be held to account, or are they generally employers who just don't get the link? I think there's a growing number of employers who are genuinely doing their best mm. to understand their employees. There's actually quite a, I, I sort of spent quite a lot of time putting down employers. So I'm going to give an example that that lifts up uh, an example of a really good employer. There was uh, an employer that I'm aware of who had an individual who had gone off sick with anxiety and depression. Uh, The employee hadn't been with the 
uh, employer for very long at all. I think a month or a month and a half at the most before the employment of sick. And this has been the case for, for six months. The employee, the employer rather, had checked in with not just the employee, but after the employee fell off the map and got in touch with the next, the next of kin and sought to keep appraised and involved for an incredibly long time. I've never seen an employer stick around for an employee who hasn't warmed a seat for that long, as it were, for that amount of time. Most employers think, okay, you know what, you're too busy, you're busy accruing annual leave, you're busy accruing company sick pay, we've paid off the most that we can, we need someone else to do your job. So how best can we quickly get rid of this person? Well, this employer had gone all out in terms of offering private healthcare, occupational health, um, keeping in touch stays, meeting up with managers, one-to-ones, offering themselves on an altar of sacrifice almost to be there for this particular employee. And in my view, that is such a winning story. I think that is great. And I don't want to I don't want to undervalue the fact that all of that would have taken up time and resources for this particular employer. They of course would have had other staff to manage, but it was great to see an employer take mental health so seriously. And also it's the long-term you know, the, I guess it does take resources, but actually if you're, that person then ends up leaving, you're having to find someone else, which we all know how you know challenging that is. Um, and, you know, the reputation, there's so, there's so much at stake if you if you treat people badly. And it reminds me of a conversation I was having yesterday with someone who um, is incredibly burnt out. Um, I had my first session with her yesterday and she said, she said at the end of our session, she said, I think I'm going to end up going off on sick leave because I can't cope. I just need, we're talking about how to create some headspace for her to try and get stuff back into perspective and get a better balance. And um, so I think I'm just going to go on sick. I'm going to end up going on sick leave. She doesn't want to, but she said, I'm just not coping. And we had a conversation about her going and speaking to her manager and say, this is what where I'm at right now. This is what I need right now, because we can consider this then a blip. And we all have blips. So if I just, during this blip, if I just have the support I need, which might be instead of working nine days out of every 10, I work eight days out of every 10, or I can just work some shorter days when I need to go and do some extra caring for her other responsibilities outside of work, which are taking her time or whatever it is for a short amount of time. If we can be a bit more flexible on that, then I won't end up going on sick and I'll get myself back in into a really good place. And then I'll be fully engaged and really productive and she's like, yeah, I hadn't really thought about having that conversation. I was like, you can have that conversation. She said, but I might need some written evidence from someone that that's what I need. And I was like, well, go and have the conversation first because you might not need that evidence. And if you need the evidence, you can get the evidence. But just start by having that conversation. And sometimes employees, you know, what we're just saying that sometimes they will, you know, claim everything they can try and claim because there are always going to be some people who operate like that. There are plenty of people who don't also have necessarily the the kind of the confidence or necessarily even the awareness that they have perhaps a right to say I'm struggling and this is what I need and if you can help me and support me in this way then I know I can get over this little bump um, rather than something that could be much more sinister longer term. Yeah quite right and it's really great that she was able to have that experience with you because she quite evidently didn't either understand the, the void mm. of what you could do but equally there was that hesitation of oh no but what if yeah and it's quite a strange mindset I I, I understand it but it's, it's an unfortunate mindset to have in that you kind of go through school and you kind of get the the teacher-student relationship teachers sort of up here the students down there you listen to the teacher and I don't know about you but at least certainly with me there was this well when you enter into the world of work that that kind of shifts yeah. and it's much more linear but actually there is still this kind of power struggle almost in terms of oh but if I say that what if when actually you're amongst adults and we should all be able just to see each other on a level without having that fear mm. of some kind of consequence for outlining something very human about yourself outlining a need and I think that's where I end up getting involved sometimes with things like mediation and so on because Again, in that ideal world, we'd want everyone just to be able to voice what's going on and have a sensible conversation. And then it, you can put things right quite quickly, quite often. When I've been involved in things, you know, another company I worked with, and they're a, a good example of trying to do things right. Where I was brought in, I don't normally do mediation work, but 
um, I was asked to come and do some mediation work um, in a particular team. And it transpired that, as often it does, it's not just issues between individuals. It's a bigger system issue. And there are problems with the processes and the, the system that's supposed to be so supporting them. But their um, manager was great at saying, well, well, firstly, why don't they just come speak to me? Like I keep asking them and they won't come speak to me. But the individuals, for whatever reason, and they have there are they have a number of different reasons, um, didn't want to go and speak to him. So it could have been about the manager and in terms of how he's saying I'm open and you can come and talk to me, but actually is his behavior saying that because he's also very busy and perhaps comes across being quite stressed. And so you know, the words might not match the actions, or is it because people have had bad experiences in the past with other people if they've opened up there's a whole raft of reasons why people weren't going to him and, and saying this is what the, the real issue is but he was great in saying you know when we fed back and said these are some of the issues actually that are coming up which are outside of this these direct relationships he said well let's get together and let's resolve all these issues and we just had some fantastic team meetings where actually all the issues I as an outsider I could bring them in a very anonymous way. So everyone felt very safe. And we could, and we the whole purpose of that was to say, this system isn't quite working. This process isn't quite working. These are the things that the team wants. And still the manager was saying, I don't know why these people won't just say this. But it doesn't matter, whatever reason, and that's something that can come on later, at that time, they needed a, a voice. And it then starts to get rid of some of the tension, some of the conflict within the teams and just people's stress and their workload because the systems around them aren't working particularly well. So it's a lovely example of actually someone saying, I want to do the right thing, and they might not be quite getting it on their own, but their intention is there. And when their intention is there, you know, and you're pulling in the right people, you can make, you know, great strides ahead in terms of and changing, you know, how teams operate in relationships. Absolutely. And I don't know how far back this was, but I'd be interested to know from you what the effect that had on the employee's engagement once they've been able to voice their concerns or opinions? Well, they now have. So going back to the whole idea of meetings, um, we revisited actually which meetings work and which ones don't work and which ones do you want to scrap because actually half people don't turn up because they're not seen as being a useful use of time. And what do we want from a meeting? And again, you've got a manager saying, these meetings are really important because we're supposed to be doing X, Y, and Z. And they were good things to do. But the team weren't engaging because they said, well, that's not really actually what happens. And it's like it just everyone wanted the same stuff, but it just wasn't quite happening. So, again, it's just sitting down as a collective group and saying, what is it that we want? How is it going to work? Who's taking responsibility? When is that going to happen? The really small detail that if the little details aren't worked out, everyone goes, yeah, it's a great idea. And then we go back to our desk jobs and, and nothing ever changes. So, um, and I'm going to find out, I'm going to revisit them in a couple of weeks time to see where things are at, because they've now taken on that process of those regular meetings on their own. Um, so I shall, I shall let you know. But uh, it, but it's just a lovely example of stuff that can be so simple to resolve, just needs to be heard. And whether it's through mediation or ideally a whole lot earlier, just from people saying in their meetings, what's working and not just in terms of your own workload, but what's working in terms of how we are supporting each other, what's working or not working in terms of the systems around us that are designed to support us, because they might be actually getting the way for us, um, you know, just having those, those conversations. Yeah, I'm with you. I think you raised some really interesting points. I mean, in particular, if one can see all of these issues or concerns as seeds being planted, and the longer you leave them, the more chance they've got to grow from those seeds into bitterness, and those weeds grow, and the longer you leave them, the, the tougher they are to, to get to get out, to, to pull out. So the earlier they can have someone like you or, or Rai or anyone else in the right kind of context to come in and deal with that, the better. Mm. And I don't think people should be ignorant of actually how difficult these issues can get the longer you leave them. And I guess it goes, you know, we were thinking about, we've been thinking a little bit about kind of just the whole idea of being human at work. And what does being human look like in terms of, you know, weeding the garden and making sure those like little seedlings aren't kind of taking, you know, make, laying their roots and so on. So I guess it'd be interesting to know from your point of view about what any other advice you have on how we can support people to be 
I guess just more human at work and less kind of heads down. I've got to crack on with my job and my role is this and that's I've got to clear these jobs by the end of the day. Um, and actually, if stuff happens and that's going to be handed over to HR or that's going to be you know, someone else's issue to deal with. How can we all take a step towards just being more human and just reducing, unfortunately for you, some of the need for people in your roles? <laughs> right. um, I think that there are a number of things, like starting with business leaders, that, that they can do to help make a real difference to people. And I think one of those things is just being open to the fact that a lot of what is in the news today affects their staff or affects their employees. We often hear about the cost of living crisis, and I'm sure most people who, who do their shopping have noticed that most of their bills are going to be a lot more expensive than they were a couple of years ago. But the reality of that is that we've gone through a couple of years of people being in a really in stable position throughout the COVID years. We've now come out of that into a world where prices are hiked, uh, inflation's going up, mortgages are going up, but their pay is more often than not still the same or, or being reduced. And I can understand with my business hat on the reasons why business may need to reduce its salary, et cetera. But I think in terms of supporting staff through this cost of living season that we're in, this cost of living crisis, it's really important to maintain that open and thoughtful and empathetic communication with your workforce. I was speaking to someone a few days ago who mentioned that his company had just out of the blue implemented a policy to say, dependent, depending on where you live, your salary is either going to be increased or reduced depending on, on your geographical area. So suffice to say those in the kind of London sort of home county sections would be on a higher band than those who may be in for example, the Midlands or somewhere out of that geographical scale. Now, great for business thinking because we're able to kind of tackle our costs, but not only have they not thought about the employment contractual issues arising out of that, they've completely detached themselves from the emotional reality that their staff are going to be having when they receive this policy coming in. Mm. And I think faux pas like that, unfortunately, are still going on. So quite evidently, I think business leaders need to have a think about how they communicate with their staff um, in terms of trying to, to get through this particular season. But I think along with that, I think a lot of people have faced challenges when it comes to financial literacy and financial well-being. I'm not expecting or advocating that employers need to be parents uh, and teach their employees to hold hands. But in actual fact, it would be, in my view, helpful for, for business leaders to see that not everyone is necessarily, respectfully, competent or financially literate. So many people have a lot of money, uh, but then don't have enough money to last to the end of the month because of one reason or another. But actually, if they were able to understand the realities of inflation or higher costs in X, Y, or Z, and understand their net figures and so on, having a financial advisor or some kind of wealth management talk within their companies is a, is, is a quick and hopefully easy way of just inserting and planting the right kind of seeds for their staff. Um, and the last point, at least for business owners in particular, I would suggest, is unsurprisingly on the mental health and well-being point of view. So many companies will no doubt have a mental health or well-being policy, but how many of those are actually implemented on a day-to-day? -day? The, the reality is whether employers or business leaders like it or not, employers are very anxious at the moment. No one knows what's around the corner. The news is completely filled with bad news. So it's no surprise that so many people are just constantly worried about what's going to be happening down the track. My view is that it would be helpful for business leaders to be much more attuned to that and perhaps look out for those sorts of signs and symptoms we were talking about earlier. Less in the one-to-one, so you're feeling anxious today about what's happening in the news about the mortgage rates and more that much more intentional language around how they're looking after their employees. And, and the only thing I'll, I'll mention from the employee's point of view is circling back to a number of things we pointed at, uh, at earlier. But I think the main thing is that employees need to almost be re-educated in understanding that their business leaders and their managers are human too. And because they're human, they're going to make mistakes. They've got their own burdens. They've got their own financial obligations. They've got difficult decisions to make too. That's very well said. And I really like your point about language. I was having a conversation with um, Nikki Scrivener earlier of... Um, 
fourth day PR company and talking about communication and language and the use of language I think so many people underestimate now you in law will be very hot on language me as a psychologist I'm very hot on language and how you present a question is going to entirely shape the kind of answer you get but so often people don't take the time to think about the words they're using or the not the words just how they are in themselves the space they're creating and and you know, their body language and the attention they're giving someone so if we all focus a little bit more on actually developing their soft skills and you know I talk about a lot about sort of leadership management stuff it's not like it's not textbook stuff in terms of here's a checklist what you need to do it's often it's a soft skills development it's about how to have really good conversations and the language you use and 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 how to support people and how to do it in a way that feels okay for the person asking as well as the person hearing and and I'm picking and that's the that's the space I think for a lot of people causes a lot of angst they they worry about saying the wrong thing or it landing in the wrong way or you know are they allowed to say something you know actually is it PC am I am I allowed to say this am I not allowed to say this I worked with a team before who they were an all-male team and they had a woman come to join the team and they were really conscious that half what they said they weren't allowed to say anymore and they wanted we had a, a meeting with the woman when she started and unpicked what felt okay and what didn't feel okay and 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 how to communicate with each other and they felt relieved because they're like actually you know is that okay or is that not okay and she's saying how she felt and we talked about again intention if you're saying something with a good intention and you and you're not sure about something you say I'm I'm really worried I might get this wrong but what I want to ask you about is such and such if you're showing you care your the use of words actually you don't want to be offensive but you don't want to worry too much and then not say anything at all because you're worried about having the wrong the wrong phrase right right and, and how often communication is such a pitfall and uh, where so much goes wrong i had a really interesting analogy on this particular point and then i want to i want to circle back to one uh, of the webinar slides i remember you used way back when but i'll come to that in just a moment um, there was this analogy I, I heard recently on the topic of just how we're all different we're all unique we all communicate in a different way and there was this il illustration of just picturing a buffet line of people and just concluding that no plate is going to be the same as the other one they're each going to be different in some way shape or form and that's just each of our individualities on a plate as it were and circling back to this slide I remember you bringing up was on a topic of communication and uh, you're welcome to expand on this much better than I will but just talking about how you can have people who are more direct in their speech people who are much more um, about the, the how was your weekend and much more colloquial in terms of their speech others who are more detailed and analytical and so on and about how we're all combinations or more or less of, of these sorts of traits but how some can clash but where there's a the potential for that it's bringing that understanding into the mix as well mm. yeah completely and I think we will often hear words and we jump to assumptions we jump to conclusions about what someone means and we don't get beyond the words and, and when we re when we recognize that we all communicate in different ways and we'll all use different language to you know I'm always unpicking nominalizations around you know when you say I want to be happy what does that actually mean what does that look like and you know someone might say happy and for you it means this and that person means something entirely different but unless we get beyond the you know whether it's the language or whether it's just someone not speaking up you know that person is fine they haven't said anything well is it is it that because they're fine or is it because they don't want to say anything in this particular environment because they don't feel safe to do so so yeah getting to the individuals is really important so is there before we kind of finish up is there any Anything else, Roy, that you want to, to say? Because I mean, I could carry on talking to you for hours because you have lots of great advice and lots of good examples of, you know, kind of practice that works and practice that doesn't. But in terms of people listening to this and taking something away from this episode of the podcast, I think actually I need to think about X and Y differently in terms of, you know, how we look after people. Um, you've already outlined some great points. Is there anything else you wanted to, to add? Yes. And I think we've talked about a lot of things, but I think something that might kind of tie this all together is acknowledging that conflict is inevitable, particularly in the workplace setting. But conflict doesn't have to necessarily mean a negative experience. If we kind of take all of these factors that we've just talked about, I think 
the reality is is that we're all wired to think differently yet concretely at the same time and because of that conflict is going to arise but i think when people often think and talk about conflict it's associated with something negative conflict equals war disappointment anger etc and yes it does mean those things but i think i'm also relearning and i'm trying to teach myself a different way of looking at conflict how about we just see conflict as if it's someone else's um, opinion or perspective or thought process that might have the potential to impede on how i view things or my own perspective on that particular point now if we have that as the starting point, then conflict in and of itself can actually just start as neutral. And what most of us do is use conflict to attack. And that's where we end up with the negative associations of it. Or on the flip side, instead of attacking, you flee, which equally is an, is an unhealthy way of looking at conflict. But if we actually just neutralized it and said, okay, you think or have said or believe this, and that is contrary to how I see whatever it might be. Um, and come together on that particular topic and deal with it in a much more positive way, implementing some of the things that we have discussed. Instead of seeing the whole experience as being negative, I think um, that will put me out of a job, which would be fine because the world would be a better mm -hmm. place. But um, in all seriousness, I think what that will take is probably much bigger than just this conversation, but hopefully it's a snowflake that can grow to something much bigger. It definitely needs a culture shift because my view is that this whole sort of cancer culture is completely contradictory to what I've just mentioned. But I think what I've just mentioned is a key on how we can promote a much healthier dialogue. So that healing coming. Roy, that was awesome. And I don't think you would ever be out of a job because you are so wise and insightful. And I have to say, because one thing I didn't say at the start of this is that you have won numerous awards. I was just congratulating you before we came on air to say, well done for getting another award or an award uh, in the last week and you're like yeah, yeah I'm just adding to my collection and not only are you winning awards you've also written a book I don't know how you actually fit this into <laughs> running a business which is clearly very successful having a young family and you've written a book can you just quickly tell us a little bit about that book and what what inspired you to write that and how have you found the time <laughs> thank you <laughs> Yes, I wasn't expecting that. I know um, you had. <laughs> yes. um, yeah, it, it took a long time, a number of years of the process. Um, the book is called Quantum, and it's definitely a recipe for escape. Uh, if sort of action, adventure, escapism into the fiction is, is your cup of tea, um, it is the first of a trilogy that has been published, just like it could be found on a number of websites, but Amazon is the best place to, to find it. If you just type in Roy Magara Quantum, it'll be the first book that comes up on there. And I think like you, life is very serious, particularly from a kind of day-to-day -day approach with work. And the project in and of itself, but also the book just provides that ability to escape and just enter into a different world that kind of takes you on a real journey through time and space, emotion, morality, um, good versus evil, and just a, a different concept in a different way of viewing life all being well. Brilliant. So if you ever run out of legal work, you can just write some more books because they're clearly taken off <laughs> as well. That was brilliant. Now, and, and before I let you go, I've got one final question, which is a blind question from Rob, Rob Stevenson, who I recently had on the show. Um, and I like this as well, because this is a bit of a kind of escapism. What would your choice of mood boosting music be? Oh, mood boosting music. I'm going to instinctively say um, I'm walking on sunshine as my music of choice. I can't recall who sung it now, but <laughs> hopefully it's popular enough. We all know that song. one. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I'm, I'm going to go with that one. That instantly puts a smile on my face and just picture myself walking down the street, arms flicking through the edge, thinking, you know what, whatever's happened during today, for the next three minutes or so, this is where I'm at. Roy, thank you so much for today. I have loved talking to you as always. And um, we must do this again at some point in the future. We can work out where things are at then in terms of being human and, and the law. So thank you very much for your time today. And thank you too. Thank you for joining me on the Beyond the Water Cooler podcast. What's the one thing you will take away from this conversation to think about or do differently? 
I'd love you to join the club to stay in the loop and be the first to hear about exciting things I'm developing, including free downloadable resources. The link to sign up is in the show notes. I hope this episode has got you thinking about how you can make a real difference to the people you work with and how well you and those around you are engaging and thriving. Let's continue the conversation about the points raised in this episode. Or perhaps you have other questions about employee experience and performance. Email me at It's Time for Change, connect with me on LinkedIn, or why not pick up the phone? I love to walk and talk. My details are in the notes. Before next time, please give me a thumbs up on Apple or wherever you listen to your podcasts. And for an extra brownie point, leave me a short review. Let's spread the messages far and wide. Bye for now.